0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: Welcome to VMB, the voice of Manhattan business, brought to you by the Manhattan Chamber of Commerce. I'm your host, Bruce Hurwitz. You can find me on the web at either hsstaffing.com or fishhookbooks.com. I hope everyone will be able to join me in one hour, when my guest will be Carl Mazzanti from eMazzanti Technologies. We will be discussing ransomware. To learn about all future shows, please visit our website, www.TheVoiceOfManhattanBusiness.com. And please remember to visit the events page on the Chamber's website, ManhattanCC.org, to learn about upcoming events on the Chamber's, website, on the Chamber's calendar. I am delighted to be joined today by Noel Goldfarb of National Financial Network. We will be discussing Social Security strategies. Please remember, the opinions expressed on this program are solely those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views or positions of the Manhattan Chamber of Commerce. If you have any questions, feel free to call in. The number is 805-243-1301. Noel, welcome back to the show.
0: Thank you very much, Bruce. It's great to be back. Um, Thank you for having me on again.
1: It's my pleasure. So tell us about yourself and your firm.
0: As you mentioned, my name is uh, Noah Goldfarb, and my company is National Financial Network. Uh, We are a premier financial services firm, and we provide comprehensive personal business and and corporate strategies, and we've been doing this since uh, 1951. I am also affiliated with Park Avenue Securities. What we do is we, we help our uh, – educate. We do a lot of education. We educate our clients on how to make sound decisions, financial decisions, and protect what they have so they can grow it uh, with less risk and then help them figure out how to distribute their wealth and their assets in a more tax-efficient manner in retirement. And I have to add one more thing. Uh, compliance, of course, always tells me to say this. is you know My comments, obviously, today on in this, in this show is uh, they're all for informational purposes. Uh, individual situations may vary and everyone should seek professional advice.
1: Thank you for that. Now our topic again is social security strategies. So this may sound like a strange question, but what is social security?
0: Well, um, you know, social security, a lot of people think it's not going to be here when they retire, but social security is a, uh, is a, a foundation of economic security for millions of Americans. Uh, the retirees, disabled people, and and families of retired, disabled, or deceased workers, there's about 163 million of Americans today uh, pay Social Security taxes and about 59 million collect monthly benefits. Um, So basically it's it's a pay-as-you-go program. This means that today's workers pay Social Security taxes into a program and money flows back out as monthly income to beneficiaries. Um, as a pay-as-you-go system, it, it differs from company pensions, which are pre-funded. It should be pre-funded, at least. Uh, in pre-funded retirement programs, the money is accumulated in advance so that it will be available to be paid out. So uh, that, that's, the, that's what Social Security is. It, it's a pay-as-you-go. And uh, that's why uh, some people uh, believe, and there's been a lot of analysis uh, done that says that this system is not sustainable based on the amount of people that are going to be retiring, Uh, in the next 15 years versus how many people are going to be funding the system.
1: Now, there were two old strategies for Social Security which are no longer available. What were they?
0: Well, the the strategies, as of May of this year, uh, uh, they've basically eliminated what they call the uh, file and suspend and then another one called uh, File a Restricted Application for Spousal Benefits. Now, what, what that means, it's a, it's a pretty complex strategy that pretty much uh, uh, people would take advantage if they had an advisor who knew about them because not many people took advantage of it. But it's a, the reason why it ended, they ended it is because they called it a loophole where it helped wealthier uh, Social Security recipients uh, get more benefits out of the system. Basically, what it meant was that uh, if you're a, you and your spouse are at the full retirement age, that uh, the higher wage earner could file and suspend their benefits, which means they file for benefits, but they don't take them, uh, which means that they can let them grow over time up until age 70. As uh, some people may or may not know, uh, the benefits grow every year you defer them. They grow by around 8% per year. So it's a great, great thing to be able to defer if you're able to. So people who don't need the Social Security benefits at full retirement age were able to defer it, and at the same time, the the spouse, the lower wage earner in this instance, could file for spousal benefits, which means that they would be able to get half of their higher wage earner earning spouse's benefits at full retirement age. So they could receive half of of the larger benefits while the both benefits keep growing until age 70, And at age 70, both can then get their maximum amount of benefits. So it it was a really great strategy to help people maximize their Social Security benefits. Unfortunately, uh, that ended as of May. And and, and luckily for for me and one of my clients, we were able to implement it right before it ended. So they were very happy about that.
1: And what replaced
0: them? Uh, Well, there's no replacement to those strategies. So now really it's all just what the basic strategies that they have, which are uh, you can either take it early at 62 at a reduced rate. You can take it at full retirement age, which depends on when you're born or what that year is. Right now it's uh, for 66 plus a couple of months. Uh, and then for younger people, uh, uh, it's going to be age or 67. And then, of course, to uh, defer, you can defer to age 70 to get maximum benefits. But so those are really the only uh, major strategies left. Uh, and, of course, you can still uh, uh, you can still file for your spouse's benefits. Uh, it's just that they cannot suspend. I mean, there's also one very unknown strategy that many people forget about. Like if you're divorced and you've been married for more than 10 years, you can actually file for your spouse's benefits uh, and get half of theirs uh, without them even knowing about it, as long as you've been married for that amount of time. Uh, so it's a really uh, great way for people to take advantage of a spouse that might have earned more than them and they're no longer married.
1: Hmm. I did not know that. That's not interesting. <laughs> yeah. No, it just seems well, to that, me that that, that that would be something divorce lawyers would take care of.
0: They, they should tell their clients about that for sure as they get close to retirement. But that's why it's so important for every uh, individual out there or family to not only have a great lawyer but have a great CPA and have a great uh, financial advisor to guide them through all of these rules and regulations because most people uh, spend their entire lives uh, working hard to, to grow up, grow their assets, and, and get the maximum Social Security benefits, but then they don't take advantage of the maximum because they don't understand how it works and they don't have the time to figure it out.
1: If you take from the divorced spouse, does that mean yep. they lose the money?
0: No, no, not at all, not at all in fact, uh, oh okay uh, they they still get their full benefit it's, uh, it's just that a uh, a divorced person can't get half of see so what happens is if you can get half of your spouse for all of yours, uh, but you've got to see which one's larger in some cases uh. Uh, if, it, if it was a stay at home you know, mom for instance or stay at home dad you know, you could go either way, uh, they may not have earned a lot, which means they didn't pay a lot into the system, which could mean that the larger benefit would be half of the thousand.
1: I understand now. Now, let's discuss other components to retirement planning. So talk to us sure. about IRAs. What are they? Okay, what well, types uh, are there?
0: Sure. I mean, obviously, there are many, many components to retirement planning. IRAs are one little piece of it. But an IRA is, is nothing more than a, uh, a a vehicle to put money into. Uh, there are many limits based on uh, age and based on income, uh, and I could go into those. But basically, uh, it's a vehicle that you can deposit money into and invest it uh, and have the income and capital gains deferred to the future. Now, that's a traditional IRA. There are also, also Roth IRAs, which is a, an IRA that is uh, the money goes in uh, after tax but is never taxed ever again. Uh, now money is to get saved and grows with no taxation until the money is withdrawn. And at age 59 and a half, a participant can start to withdraw with no penalty. At that time however, they will, uh, the taxes will be due on that entire withdrawal. So if they take out you know, $100, that's $100 of ordinary income that gets taxed at their current effective tax rate at that time. Now, another component to an IRA uh, and then other types of retirement accounts uh, is that they, they are age 70 and a half. Uh, they are, there's a required minimum distribution that the IRS imposes on this account where there'll be a certain amount of money that will have to be taken, uh, and, each, and that amount actually grows over time as the person gets older until, of course, the amount of the account falls and then the, the amount that comes out gets smaller and smaller until the money account is fully utilized. Uh, now, that's, you know, that's basically how it works. And There's been a lot of discussion about the tax uh, efficiency of these types of accounts, and what happens is in the early years, they're very tax efficient. You don't pay any tax. But later on, it, cre- it has created uh, a bit of a problem for uh, people when they retire because they end up having to take these r and and create potentially uh, a higher tax bill for themselves, uh, maybe even push them into a higher tax bracket. Uh, and now to, just to go briefly into uh, the limits as far as uh, what you can put in uh, on the Roth IRA, they, they, um, they are very low limits, for, especially for you know, the area where I live in New York City. So basically if you're single, and you earn $116,000 a year, you are no longer qualify for a, uh, Roth a Roth IRA. Uh, if you're married and have $183,000 in income, you also are no longer qualify. Uh, and the, minimum, the maximum contribution is $5,500 uh, at the current time. So uh, it's really the Roth is limited. Most people have traditional IRAs and traditional 401Ks, which is a similar type of product, but a little
1: bit for the public. Well, thank you for that. And just a reminder you're listening to the voice of Manhattan Business. My guest today is Noel Goldfarb of National Financial Network, and we're discussing social security strategies. Please remember the opinions expressed on this program are solely those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views or positions of the Manhattan Chamber of Commerce. No, there are a lot of commercials on these days for reverse mortgages. <coughs> Excuse sure. me. What are they and how do they work? Reverse
0: mortgages, they, they're a special type type of home loan. Uh, it, it lets basically a, an individual convert a portion of the equity in their home into cash. You know, obviously the people built up a lot of equity over the years as they make mortgage payments. Now basically what happens is the mortgage payments are paid back to you, and it can come back to people in the form of a lump sum or in payments over time. Uh, however, you have to be uh, you know, there's a couple there's a lot of rules and regulations. You have to be eligible uh, to. Uh, not, well, one of the eligibility requirements is that you, uh, the homeowner must be 62 years of age or older. Uh, you have to own your own, own your home outright, or have a very low mortgage balance that can be paid off at closing with the proceeds from the reverse loan. Um, so, so there is, And there are limits as to how much you can take. And in, in New York City, of course, there are limits as far as um, the types of homes that you can do reverse mortgages on. For instance, cooperatives or co-ops don't allow um, a reverse mortgages. So there are a lot of people in our area who own co-ops who can't take advantage of this type of program. However, it is a, it is a good program for certain people, Who have the need for income, who do not want to leave their home, and do not care that at the end of the day, their home no longer belongs to their estate, because that's you know people want to leave. A lot of a lot of uh, clients that I deal with who are getting ready for retirement, they have legacy objectives and they want to leave some value to their children or to a charity. And in this case, the value of the home will be basically revert back to to the bank as they will sell it and then get back their their money that they loaned you.
1: Well, wouldn't that mean that the home is no longer part of the estate and therefore the um, uh, beneficiaries of the uh, estate would be paying less inheritance tax because the home isn't part of the... um, calculation. Well,
0: true. If, if that person had uh, an estate tax problem or issue, I should say, See, if, if someone usually someone taking a reverse mortgage doesn't have a lot of choices for income. Uh, so uh, they probably don't have an estate tax problem because uh, to, in order to have one, uh, you need an individual needs to have assets uh, greater than in the federal, federal estate tax greater than $5.4 million of total value in their estate. And if they're a couple, that's $10.8 million. So if they have that kind of asset, they probably don't have the need to do a reverse mortgage. Because it's really, when I work with clients, it's really a last resort. I mean, when you don't have many assets left, you don't want to leave your home, you can't afford to stay in the home because you don't have, the Social Security's not going to pay for it, and you don't have enough assets to generate income, then you do the reverse to be able to stay in the home. So it's really not going to affect uh, most people. The vast majority, their their estate tax um, bill, so to speak, because they probably won't have one. Uh, So it really hasn't come up that way in in, in that circumstance.
1: Let's move on to a different component to a retirement plan. What role should life insurance play?
0: Both so those that have insurance. cash
1: value or those with uh, payback premiums?
0: Right, right. Well, there, there, are, there are two types of life insurance contracts. Uh, it's really just term and permanent. The term, I mean, self-explanatory term is for a certain amount of time. The premiums tend to be lower uh, because it is an expense and that, it, that coverage typically I think the statistic is somewhere around 99 or 98 percent changes every year of term policies either expire uh, because uh, they outlive the term or they let them lapse. So there's really never any benefit being received on majority of term policies. So there's not much in the way of retirement planning revolving around term policies unless someone has the wherewithal to purchase the term policy much later in life as long as they're obviously able to uh, acquire it based on your health, but the premiums tend to be very high as you get older. Uh, Now, permanent life insurance, there are many types of permanent life insurance. Uh, You'll talk to some people, they will talk about index, universal life, variable universal life. Uh, The type that I I work with uh, in most cases with my clients in their retirement planning is the guarantee type uh, because the important part in retirement is that we're all going to retire day and we don't know how long we're going to live which is a big, big risk uh, and we want to make sure that the insurance is still in force when we need it most. Now, it's, it's, life insurance is a, it's just like an IRA. I, mean, I don't say it's just like an IRA but just like an IRA. It's another basket or bucket or or a holding tank for wealth. And the the good part about having some permanent life insurance on your balance sheet at retirement is that it it has zero risk in that um, it's guaranteed. So you have a death benefit, you have a cash value, and that cash value goes up every year based upon the dividend that is is declared each year. So as we go through life, we have this uh, piece of our balance sheet that is uh, guaranteed and will always be there to help us and is tax-free when utilized properly. And I I don't want to get into too many details here, but if people who are listening want to know more about it, I can show them, obviously, in more depth. But the the reason why people want to have uh, insurance on their balance sheet is retirement is because they want to have the ability and the flexibility to spend down all of their other assets. It's all about financial balance. We want to have two buckets of money on our balance sheet, some that is taxable, some that is tax-deferred, some that is tax-free, and we want to have some that are guaranteed and some that are risky because the risky assets help us outpace inflation. The guaranteed assets help us uh, in the the years and months that we have crazy, volatile markets, and when we get to retirement, we want to be able to maximize our cash flow and pay the least amount of taxes possible and that can be uh, accomplished with a a balanced approach of having a a bit of each of these uh, types of of, of wealth holding tanks on your
1: balance. There are a lot of commercials for these guaranteed life insurance policies that if you're over a certain age, your health isn't a component, it isn't a factor, and these companies have to give you a life insurance policy. What they right. say on the commercials is this is a guaranteed rate. Your rate will not go up. I'm curious, is there a difference between rate and premium? In other words, when you have one of these policies, if you start off paying, and I'm just making up a number, 20 bucks a month, will it always be 20 bucks a month?
0: Well, you have to read the contract. So every contract is the different. There are... There are level term policies which are guaranteed level term, which means that the premium never goes up. There are yearly renewable term contracts if each year the premium goes up slightly based on age. Now the rates that they're talking about have to do, uh, well, again, it's, they're saying that everybody's approved based on doesn't matter their health, but basically if you compare what they're offering, and they're typically offering very, very small policies, 10000 20000 maybe 50000 for specific purposes, for instance, maybe for final expenses. Uh, and and it, it, on the surface, it looks inexpensive. But when you compare that with a fully underwritten policy, assuming that they have no major medical issues, uh, which I, I've done this before for, for clients because they come to me and say, my company wants to offer me uh, a term policy and I don't have to do any medical and this is what it costs. Can you tell me what you can offer me uh, in a fully underwritten product? And when I do show them, I show them that the cost in a fully underwritten term product is is significantly less than a product that is being given uh, and no medical is needed. And that makes sense because within – and the reason – the way insurance companies do that is they're going to write a lot of these policies, a lot of them. And that's the definition of insurance is you're pooling like risk. And there's a lot is that some of those risks in there might be higher than others because they don't do underwriting. And, therefore, if they raise the price on everybody slightly higher, uh, then those who have issues will get paid off if they die prematurely. And those who don't uh, will not get their, their uh, uh, death benefit, and therefore the beneficiaries won't. And, therefore, the insurance company could still make the profit.
1: So, Rate and premium are not the same thing. And the guaranteed rate does not mean that you're not going to have to pay more each month. But that depends yearly. on the terms of the contract.
0: Exactly. If it's a guaranteed level premium, then it's going to be the same. But if they say you got, we get you guaranteed rate, it could mean that it's a yearly renewable, which means that each year it's guaranteed, but it's guaranteed to go up.
1: Okay. Now, you said that... Uh, the money is to go to final expenses, and they always say that. So that means they the do. beneficiary gets $20,000, and the deceased person only had $15,000 in debt for credit right. cards and uh, the funeral. So they'd only get 15000 They wouldn't be able to get the entire amount?
0: No, no. The entire debt benefit would go to the estate. Uh, okay. And then that, that, that money would go to pay off whatever it's, bills that were uh, necessary for final expenses. So if it was a $20,000 debt benefit, the estate gets $20,000 tax free uh, the, the, uh, If there's a will, hopefully there is, then the executor will uh, execute the will and go to the wishes of, of the deceased, deceased. And any mm-hmm. leftover money after everything is paid for would go to wh- whoever the will states.
1: Talk to us about long-term care insurance.
0: Well, long-term care is a very, very difficult situation that we have in America today. Because uh, on both ends, for for the public and for the insurance companies that offer these this coverage, uh, well, this long-term care is is becoming an issue for many many Americans as we get older and as we live longer. Uh, and insurance companies who offer this coverage, uh, some of them had to. Stop offering this type of coverage to get out of the business totally, because they underestimated the persistence level, the persistency. basically, when they when they come up with a premium, they factor a lot of things into it, and one of them is persistency, and they factored in that a certain percentage of people would let these policies lapse. However, we find that very few people let these policies lapse, uh, and therefore, right now, I believe there's 75 percent of the people who have a long-term care policy, actually have a claim in it. And that's because we're all obviously getting older, the baby boomers especially, because uh, 10,000 of them turn 65 every day for the next 17 years. Uh, And as they need help, they don't want to go to nursing homes, a lot of them. They want to live in their homes, so they need to get care in their home. And, And this is where these types of policies pay, either for care in the home or for part or all of nursing care in in a nursing home. Uh, And it's such a wide variety of types of care that people, you know, they used to fear that, oh, I I don't want to have nursing care or nursing home. It's a horrible place to be. But some of them are quite nice and and, uh, although they're quite expensive. So, again, long-term care is an important part of retirement planning. Everybody should consider insuring themselves against long-term care. Uh, and the issue is here, premiums have risen over over the years. However, people have to keep in mind that this is a regulated, or as all insurance. Is, it's regulated by each state, and they only allow the companies to increase the premiums if they show they need to. So obviously, there's a need to because of the amount of the amount of uh, claims that are that these insurance companies are experiencing.
1: We looked at IRAs, reverse mortgage, long-term care insurance, life insurance. What other vehicles should people include in their retirement planning portfolio?
0: The the one big thing that I think most people haven't uh, really spent a lot of time looking at, and they probably haven't because they probably have either worked with a traditional uh, financial uh, planner or maybe they just did it by themselves, but that's what we call guaranteed income. Uh, Social Security is a form of guaranteed income. Uh, however, Social Security is typically not, not enough for most people to supplement their entire retirement income needs. So it is important for people to understand, especially in this low interest rate environment, this is what's created this issue. It's this very low interest rate environment that we've been in for the last eight years has created a problem where people have a difficulty generating income when you get zero at the bank, one and a half on a 10-year treasury, 5% on high-yield bonds, stock market being unpredictable, and obviously high risk. So the issue is how do we generate more income on a guaranteed basis, at least enough income for their basic expenses? And and they're, they're called annuities. Uh, there are different types of annuities. There are variable annuities, which allow people to get some guarantees and still invest in the equity markets or other bond markets if they wish. Uh, and then there are fixed annuities, which are called deferred income annuities or single premium immediate annuities, which basically allows people to take a, a sum of money, uh, hand it over to an insurance company, for uh, in, in place of that, they get an income guaranteed for the rest of their life and that income is based upon their age which is important because when you go into a bank and you ask them well what kind of interest rate can you give me i'm 75 years old now can you give me some better interest rate? they say well look on that little board when you walk in the bank that's your interest rate we don't we don't give different interest rates or different ages it's 35 55 or 85 we don't care but an insurance company is a special type of company where they are they are on both ends of the spectrum. They help people protect against premature death through life insurance, and they help people who may live too long by offering guaranteed income to life at greater percentage payouts than you would get from a bank or a CD. Uh, certainly. You know, maybe you could do better in the markets, but you have a significant amount of risk, and that's why I, I advise all of my clients as they get closer to retirement to have enough guaranteed income to cover their basic expenses, and then they can get their other income, their fund income, we call it those playchecks, the paycheck, and then the play check, we use that money to invest in riskier assets like stocks and bonds and other things to help
1: grow our assets, even in retirement. What do you think about charitable remainder annuity trusts and unit trusts?
0: Well, uh, obviously, charity, charitable remainder trusts and, and any, any type of trust is a great tool for certain people who have a significant amount of wealth. They might have a, a very low basis, meaning they have some securities in there that have a low cost basis, which means they would have to pay a lot of taxes if they sold those securities, so they can put those securities into a trust, uh, for instance, a charitable remainder trust. They can still access the money in that trust for their income needs in retirement, but the IRS uses an actuarial calculation to determine, based upon their age and their mortality, how much money will be left in that trust when they're not going to be here anymore, and then they get a significant tax deduction today so they can get a tax deduction, use the money, and then uh, sell those securities inside the trust and avoid capital gains tax. So it is a great way to, to not only create income for themselves and reduce taxes, but also to give to charities down the road of their choice. Uh, because it's so important to, especially in this uh, economic environment where many charities have taken a hit because people just can't give as much, it's great that people are able to put this kind of money in to trust, benefit the charity in the future, as well as, well as benefit themselves in retirement and reduce taxes.
1: Noel, before I let you go, what's the best way for people to get in touch?
0: Well, the best way to get in touch with me is my, well, I have many ways. My, I have a, a website, which is www.noel, N-O-A-L, gold bar, My email address is underscore gold at Net, or I always welcome telephone calls at 917-449-4653.
1: Noel, thank you so much. You've provided us, as always, with a wealth of information, good food for thought, and I thank you and hope you'll come back on.
0: I certainly will. Thank you for inviting me and I'll see you soon, I'm sure.
1: And as always, a special thank you to our listeners I Am Certain Noel joins me in wishing everyone a safe and prosperous week.